Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, a podcast where two dudes talk about romantic films. Um, in this our inaugural episode, we talk about the romantic comedy classic, 10 Things I Hate About You. So be pre-warned, there are some light plot spoilers for 10 Things I Hate About You. Enjoy. Can you hear me? Yep. Yeah, that's that? that's actually better. Yeah. Okay, cool. Right. The microphone was was making the 8-bit angry bee noise. Ah, fucking angry bee microphones. <laughs> yeah, that would be a good name for a microphone company actually. Microphone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately I decided to do my beekeeping at the same time as we were doing the <laughs> podcast, so uh... Oh man. Romantic films and beekeeping. That's that's the good combo. <laughs> Actually, That's there's got to be a film called The Beekeeper, hasn't there? Oh, shit. Let's look. I've got IMDb open over here. Yeah, get so it So let up. me have a little look. Before we start actual proper film chat business, this is the most important thing. Is there a film called The Beekeeper? Dude, there are multiple films called The Beekeeper. Oh, of course. Of course. 1986, a Greek movie called The Beekeeper, a drama. Cool. Uh... A beekeeper, Spiros, travels from the north to the south of Greece with his bees to meet the spring. Oh, wow. It's like a bee road movie. Yeah. <laughs> Let's have a look at the other ones. I'm going to add that to the list. <laughs> we just I'm, do I'm a adding bee... it to the list right now. <laughs> all beekeeper movies all the time. <laughs> and Bee Movie, the cartoon made by Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, God, with all the sexy bees. Yep. Okay, we've got a few more here. We have got... I'm just going to open all of them up. There's so bloody many. Open the hive. (laughs) (laughs) There's also one called The Keeper of the Bees from 1935. That's just like trying to make it sound fancier than it is. The Last Beekeeper. Oh, that's all right. That sounds like something that would star Dwayne Johnson. (laughs) Beekeeping, which I think is the mumblecore. Yeah. Okay, right. So we've got The Beekeepers, comedy drama from 2010, a feature length college comedy that follows a group of aging super seniors during summer break at Statham County University. Wait. In the tradition of Clark's Knocked Up and Superbad. Okay. I'm has, has a grand total of 32 ratings on IMDb. So I think this is like a super smash hit. All right. Uh, with no actors that have a photo apart from someone called Renee Dorr who played a character called Lacey. Cool. I'm not aware of her work, but I'm sure no, she's great. No, she was she did stunts in the Purge Anarchy. That's that's what she's done. Um okay, next one, The Beekeeper, a drama with a grand total of 10 ratings on IMDb. Okay. Harry Goddard is a bigoted British military man. <laughs> Good start. <laughs> He has been involved in more than his share of heinous acts perpetrated in the name of national security. This doesn't seem to have a lot to do with bees. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, it better not be a metaphor. That, that's the thing. He, he keeps metaphors. metaphorical bees. 
Oh, a documentary. The Sweet But Sticky World of New York City Suburban uh, Urban Beekeeping is revealed. This is a documentary called The Beekeeper, which has seven ratings on imdb so they couldn't even get all of the cast and crew involved to rate these on imdb <laughs> which is a bad a bad sign yeah that's like when a band is playing to less than however many people in the band have girlfriends or whatever yes it's always never a good thing okay 1935's the keeper of the bees it's another well it's another war veteran a severely traumatized world war one veteran believing that he's living on borrowed time comes upon a peaceful little village and meets an old man called bee master <laughs> is that spelled b-e-e or is that like b dash oh no it's b-e-e it would be amazing if he was called bee master yeah it was like like an amazing hip hop hip-hop artist oh yeah wow and then the last the last beekeeper does not star um does not start Vin Diesel or The Rock or anyone of that ilk. Instead, it's a documentary about the struggles of three American beekeepers. That sounds um, quite real. Yes, yeah. And then beekeeping. When college student Mike DeVries accrues a sizable collections fee, he worries he cannot afford to continue paying for school. So this sounds proper mongrelcore. <laughs> yep. Help of his three comically troublesome dorm mates, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Uh, a scheme is devised to scam money from the university treasury. Register a dozen fake university clubs, pocket the startup money, and abandon the clubs. So it's kind of like Mumblecore version of uh, the producers, from the sounds of it. it <laughs> Mumblecore it version of the producers. I would watch that. <laughs> it's it's uh, springtime for Hitler in Germany. Ding do do ding do do ding. Oh, okay, well, that's seven or eight B films, so <laughs> that covers us for the next probably few months of this podcast. So I think, I think, yeah, um, big bees don't cry. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I've got to change the artwork now, so it's got a big bee on it, <laughs> not crying. Just, just um, the bee out of bee movie looking lecherous. Yeah, I can't even remember how we got in, got onto this now. <laughs> No, I don't know either. <laughs> oh, it was because the microphone was making B noise. Oh yes, yeah, B B microphone. Yeah. Okay. Well, as you you know what it's called because you'll have downloaded it from somewhere. But this is the first ever inaugural episode of the Big Boys Don't Cry podcast. All right. Hello. So um, I'm Paddy Johnston, and I'm Rob Gordon. Nice. I I kind of clicked my fingers to, as if to point at you, and then because <laughs> you're on the phone call, but you haven't got your face there. It's just like your Google picture, which is just you kind of doing a scary face. So I clicked my fingers at the scary face. The scary face did not even flinch. Yeah, it did. It does not lie though, because you you did it. You you said your name. I did. Yeah, just a psychic link. I think more than anything else. Yeah. So this is a podcast where we, two English dudes, talk about romantic films. That's the that's the that's all it is, really. Um, I kind of had the idea for this a few months ago. I thought it would be good for us to do a podcast together again because we did we had the one hour stories podcast a few years ago, also with Rob Sherman. Um, and yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed that. It was good. We'll try and get that get that back off the ground again at some point. That was a podcast where we gave ourselves an hour to come up with a short story uh, based on a theme, and then we would read them out and discuss them. Um, it was great. Um, but you've been doing a really good podcast called Easy Bites as well, which is about games. Yes, uh, in in my spare time, because I write for a video game website, for anyone who doesn't know. 
and then um, anything that I find interesting that the readers of the site might not necessarily find interesting I then cover just in small episodes so things like cancelled games from 10 years ago that nobody cares about anymore and things like of that nature yeah or games where a lot of people ended up putting in loads of money and losing loads of money on them despite them making loads of money it's really fascinating stuff and I'm really enjoying it oh thank you but it made me, yeah, it just made me think that we should we should do something where we talk about culture rather than either rather than contributing to it ourselves. Um, so I actually had ten things in I hate about you in mind for the opening film, and then when I suggested it to you, you said it as well. So I felt like <laughs> yeah. that, that we're really we're really in sync on this one. It's a it's a good sign, I think, definitely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, why why did that one come to you right away? Do you think? I think. When I think of romantic comedies, um, I think 10 Things I Hate About You is just one of my all-time favourites. And just it, it, it has all of those tropes that you expect from a rom-com, particularly like a teen rom-com, all in one place. Yeah. Um, but also manages to subvert quite a lot of them at the same time. So it's quite a, it's, yeah, it's just one of those really great romantic comedies. Yeah, I think I thought the same thing. Um Although when I so so going back, I think I think I must have missed it the first time around, like when it was initially released, because it came out in nineteen ninety nine, um, which was the year that we started secondary school. Yeah, yeah. Not together. We went to university together, but we happened to be almost the same age. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, and also going to secondary school pretty close to one another as well, mm. which is that's true. Actually, I forgot about that. Yeah. Almost, almost around the corner. But yeah, I missed yes. it the first time around, nineteen ninety nine. I think it would have been a bit too, a bit too rude, or like my parents would never have shown me that. I think American Pie came out maybe around the same time as well, and we had a VHS of it lying around in the house. And my mum would always like hide it and make sure I never watched it. Obviously, I watched it, I watched <laughs> it eventually. <laughs> it's just one of those. Oh God, you can't watch American Pie. Yeah, but I came God, to. Ten things I hate about you. From um, do you remember the film Not Another Teen Movie? Yes, yeah, I remember. I that. came to it from that because that's it's one of those it was one of those dumb films that was around when we were teenagers, where they were parodying a certain genre or tropes or whatever. Like Scary Movie, I think was the first one where they parodied Scream, and then yeah, it was... um, ten, um, Not Another Teen Movie parodied a lot of them, but a lot of the scenes were based on um, Ten Things I Hate About You, and then I. I sort of found a lot of it funny, but didn't really know why, because I guess I'd become aware of the tropes, but I didn't know that a lot of them kind of almost originated from 10 Things I Hate About You, or the way that it approached the romantic comedy genre, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, it's, it's an odd one, um, not another teen movie, because almost like um, like Scary Movie, it pulls together all of these parodies without really understanding that what it's based on is kind of satirical in its own way yeah so it kind of misses the point a little bit but it still ends up pulling together some kind of parody of the overall scope of it yeah and it was i guess they must have had a lot of fun i i think it was just self-aware enough to be on the right side of that line to sort of know that what it was doing was almost a parody of a parody yeah yeah i think they they kind of they kind of got that but at the same time it was also quite dumb and there was a lot of like toilet humor and stuff and there was the guy, I I can't I can't remember much of it, but for some reason there's the guy who like his life ambition is to start a slow clap. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know yes. That really that always really really tickled me. 
And then at the end, someone else, spoiler alert for not another teen movie, someone else like, <laughs> oh my starts God. the slow clap I, I don't, instead of I him. Don't, I don't think our listeners have had enough time to watch not another teen movie. I think it's been too close since it came out like over a decade ago, Paddy. Yeah. Like, we're we're After... probably talking 15 years ago, I'm going to oh, assume. God, yeah. maybe, yeah. Yeah. We're getting on, man, we're getting on. <laughs> too, too old to be watching high school rom-coms I yeah think. <laughs> definitely but so I, I think i can't remember the first time i saw 10 things i hate about you but i feel like it was it was after that so i probably must have been 14 or 15 by at which point i think i was i had probably seen enough rom-coms and was probably still in the the conditioned you know sexist way of thinking oh rom-coms are for girls man those are girls movies but then I remember watching it with a bunch of dudes and we were falling all over the place laughing because it's a really, really funny film. And yeah, it's, it's genuinely hilarious. In, ter- in terms of when I first saw it, again, it just seems to have become part of my pop culture consciousness, almost through osmosis maybe. So it, it, it was probably something like it was, on, it was on TV on a lazy Sunday afternoon on Channel 4 or something like that. It just happened to be on and just watching it that way. But it's become one of those films that like, if you need a pick-me-up movie, it's one of those ones that you turn to and, like, you know what, 10 Things I Hate About You is 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 the film to watch tonight. Yeah, definitely. But I hadn't seen it in a long time, actually. Like, I, I remember, I think I watched it once, maybe, at university, and I hadn't seen it since, so a lot of it was kind of fresh to me, which is good. I'd forgotten so many of the, the really great and funny lines, but coming to it again, it, it still felt really fresh and new, but it also was incredibly dated, but in a really charming way watching it now yeah it's, it's got that that um that late 90s indie rock soundtrack where it's just it immediately puts it in a time and place that's just recognizable so it's got all of these like angry indie rock tracks just playing yeah. throughout the film it's it's great but it opens with um it's like a sort of not the regular studio version it's like an outtake of um one week by the bare naked lady yeah yeah <laughs> Such a strange song that I didn't expect to hear um, in the opening of that because it's like a meme song now. Like, yeah, it's it's it's, it's that that you start getting the lyrics in at the end of a long-winded story or telling kind of meme. Yeah, it's yeah. Have you heard that version of it where it's um, the song has been recreated by just a sample of the opening? It's been lyric. No. Oh, it's so good. I'll I'll play. I'll drop like a tiny clip of it into the podcast because it is it's a horrible, awful sound, but it somehow works. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So it opens with that song and with it coming down on Seattle and with all the kind of crazy, colourful writing. It's like really kind of nineties and grungy. But for nineteen ninety nine, you feel like it's a it's all maybe that should have been over that kind of writing by then. It's a bit Saved by the Bell. Yeah, it's it's got this real sort of like a very special episode feel to it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Where, it, where it, it's got that kind of syndicated early 90s high school feel to everything, which I think works in its favour because it, it by then, by sort of dating it a few years back from where it probably should have been, it like allows itself to mess around a little bit more with what you're expecting from that kind of film. Yeah, and again, I, I feel like it. I feel like it was self-aware in that way. Like it was, it yeah, was walking yeah. it was the whole time. It walks that parody line, and the, the kind of zany '90s opening is, is is almost comforting in that way. It's like you know, it's going to be fun. It's going to be wacky. So 
let's talk a little bit about how great Heath Ledger is in oh, this film. Oh, man, Heath Ledger. He was <laughs> 19 or 20? That's, I think, yeah. what really works about this is... Julia Stiles, I think, was only 18. Um, so for them to be playing teenagers, it's not like a lot of films you get. You know, th- those films you get these days where like it's people in their 20s or even in their 30s sometimes playing high school people like um like i think if you look at glee for example just uh, just off the top of my head not that it's really that close to it but as a kind of thing that's portraying high school i think most of those actors were in their 20s at least when yeah, they started who, who's I mean. who's the student and who's the uh, teacher in those kind of things because yeah. they all kind of look like they're exactly the same age oh, no, I think um, but- there was a thing where uh, matthew morrison who plays mr shoe the the um the glee teacher was actually younger than one of in real life than one of the students yeah oh that's impressive yeah I, th- I think the the best example of that is Beverly Hills 90210, the original, um, where all of the high school students in that, I think, were in their late 20s. Mm. And it was it was just great. You know, I've never, ever seen that. Oh, you, you need to at least watch a few episodes mm. just to experience it. Yeah, we need to talk TV at some point later on in this podcast. We could talk we could yeah. <laughs> a few episodes of a TV show or a whole series if we can get around to it. Yeah, no, that'd be cool. Yeah, but yeah, it is it is so great that um, they are genuine teenagers. They look like teenagers and they feel like teenagers. And their romance, I think, is totally believable as a teen romance, even though it's a, a setup and it's kind of almost a cheap. But it starts as a cheap joke. It's totally believable because their teenage performance is so real. Yeah, it, it's it's one of those things where it, it feels like a bit of a cliche, but like they do have a really nice on-screen chemistry where you, you get that kind of sense that it was really fun to work on behind the scenes. Yeah. And I think that helps bring the whole movie together really well. Yeah. Did you watch the outtakes at the end of it? The version that we watched had outtakes. Oh, yeah, over the credits. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that, that that's, those are the kind of things that are telling, I think, of whether a film is fun to watch to work on or not and yeah all the kind of messing around behind there was one where um there joseph gordon levitt and the other guy who looks like dimitri martin whose name i can't remember uh david krumholtz david krumholtz good knowledge i I don't think good knowledge or do i have imdb open right now to make sure that i remember their names oh you you didn't you (laughs) didn't leave it on the beekeeping page i did not leave it on the beekeeping page no (laughs) <laughs> um yeah i i yeah hadn't seen that guy in anything obviously joseph gordon levitt as well he must have been 16 yeah know. he must have been he must, i mean he's he had one of those faces where he didn't seem to age for about 10 years and then all of a sudden grew up yeah but he must have been very very young when this was when this was made yeah which again makes sense obviously totally yeah beautiful. yeah because i mean he he looks just like a a high schooler in in this film like you could you could when when we were at college, for instance, you could see someone like Joseph Gordon-Levitt walking around and you wouldn't be like, who the hell's that guy? Shouldn't he be out working? Yeah. I should say for our American listeners that by college, you mean sixth form college, which is 16 to 18, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, not not college, college. Not, not college, college. College, rock, college. But yeah, obviously it's it's Heath Ledger. It was his breakout performance. Is that fair to say? Was he in anything I'd, before that? I'd say so. I can't remember seeing him in anything before this that really stands out. But um, I think before this, he was he was in that soap, wasn't he? Um, Home and Away. Oh, of course. Home and Away. Um, but apart from that, I can't think of anything else that he would have been in that people would have seen necessarily. No. 
But I saw A Knight's Tale before I saw this film, and I remember that because that was the first time I saw Heath Ledger, and I was like, wow, he's a great actor. I love him. Although now my only memory of A Knight's Tale is that Paul Bettany plays Chaucer and you get to see his bum. (laughs) (laughs) Also, also, it's it's got one of the perfect character names ever where they they fake name him um, Ulrich von Lichtenstein. (laughs) 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 I'm never going to forget that's what he calls himself. And people are like, oh, yes, that's definitely the name that a knight would have. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so when I first watched it, I was already aware of Heath Ledger as an actor. But I, th- I guess if you're coming to it fresh or in 1999, you hadn't heard of him. You'd have been like, oh, wow, this guy's great. He's like, is he? he's a bit Australian. Is he fully Australian? Nobody quite knows. Because he obviously, when he first talks, he has the Australian accent, but he's kind of trying to temper it a bit because obviously he's at high school in Seattle and you're like, why would an Australian guy be at high school in Seattle in 99? Which kind of adds to the, the sort of fake mystery of the character. Yeah, because throughout the movie, he's, he's sort of like this mysterious wild card maverick renegade character. So you've got people saying like, he sold his liver on the black market. <laughs> He ate a live duck, that kind of stuff. <laughs> live duck. That's my favourite one. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I also, I love the name Patrick Verona. I mean, obviously my name's Patrick, so I'm a little bit biased, but I think that sounds awesome. But you... I, th- I think if you ever start a, a different band, Paddy, I think Patrick Verona could be a perfect stage name for oh, you. Oh, yeah. And because like some people would get it, but I think enough time has passed since this film was truly popular that a lot of people will have forgotten it. It's a sort of good middle ground pop reference yeah yeah definitely and i think also um like when you watch this movie a lot of the time you don't really necessarily remember the character names it's always because there's so many memorable actors in it yeah that it's like oh we've got gabrielle union we've got heath ledger julia styles joseph gordon levitt you almost forget what their character names are yeah and it's just these are these amazing actors who went on to do tremendous things like some of them it's yeah yeah there's something really magical about seeing actors who got more famous in early things where they're good, isn't there? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think you know, watching this film in '99 must have been good as well. But watching it like now with this kind of nostalgic lens, it, it lends itself well to that kind of reading as well. So it's a good exercise, I think, in how these kind of films can age well. When I think rom-coms don't always age well. No, definitely. I mean, look at you've got mail. Where, oh my god we have to that, yeah that's on the i think list i think somewhere. that needs to be on the list yeah, yeah. That, i think that's on there already <laughs> i love meg ryan though i think she's great yeah yeah definitely and tom hanks actually i have a bit of a soft spot for him um since ever since he did the video have you seen the video to i really like you by carly ray jepson no i haven't i it's, know the song oh, it's but... him he he mouths all of the lyrics and he's going about his business and it's so if you imagine that song but coming out of his mouth it's oh, it's so good oh that's brilliant yeah i think he's he's able to laugh at himself oh that's all right then did you know that he one of his early roles he was in like a a scaremongering tv film about dungeons and dragons what where it's all about i mean i'll try and find the name of it um, it's all about this kid who gets into, I don't know if he gets into pot and Dungeons and Dragons or just Dungeons and Dragons, but he sort of has this, these sort of delusions where he thinks he's actually a wizard. Wow. And uh, yeah, that was one of his, that was one of his very early roles. That sounds great. Uh, I think, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. Um, and sort of it's gone down in infamy now because after that he did things like big and everything like that. 
Yeah. But, uh, That's but yeah, for cool. starters, Mazes and Monsters, it's called, <laughs> back in 1982. 82, wow. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's something else. It's a long time kind before an... Dungeons and Dragons, the movie. <laughs> Which I think did a better way of putting people off playing Dungeons and Dragons than any sort of advisory movie made against it earlier. Yeah. I went to see that in the cinema. I think it was like one of the big Leicester Square ones as well. And I think, oh, really? I think my dad paid like you know above above the odds for our tickets to see that film, and I I, I was disappointed with it. <laughs> as was everybody. The, the only good thing about that film is is Jeremy Irons just chewing the scenery throughout. Oh man, I, f- I forgot it was him. Even he's, he's great in it. He just does not care and is just putting in one of the best hammy bad guy performances I've ever seen. I think because it's this evil wizard. I love those kind of performances. I, I want to watch... I haven't seen Jupiter Ascending. Have you seen that? No, no, I haven't seen it. Apparently, Eddie Redmayne's performance in that is similar, where it's like a really, really hammy villain performance. I've seen some gifts of it, but uh, yeah, it looks really brilliant for that reason. I, we could I've probably that... add that to the list for a later date. But yeah, if we only because sort of... when I was on... I was flicking through the movies on Amazon Prime the other night, and it was in the romance category... No, I was like, oh, really? <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure how that's a romantic movie. Isn't it about um, a dog-eared Channing Tatum and uh, Mila Kunis saving the world from evil Eddie Redmayne? Yeah, that, that's that's my um, idea of romance. I don't know about you, but, <laughs> but what I've uh, I've not seen it, but I've heard that Eddie Redmayne in that film he basically just talks like this the entire time. <laughs> and, uh, my name's Eddie Redmayne, and I will destroy the world. Jupiter, watch out! This is making me want to watch it a thousand times more. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, but if it isn't all like that, I'm going to be disappointed. <laughs> I apologise if it's not. I've not seen it. That's just what I've heard. Cool. So we'll add that to the list for later on. <laughs> sure. Um, coming back to ten things I hate about you. What else did I write down? Oh yeah, the the um. So it starts driving into the school. He gets picked up by the the nerdy guy friend who walks him around and shows him all the tribes. Did you did you pay much attention yeah. to the tribe scene? Yeah, where you have the the yuppies and the 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 Rastafarian white guys. Yeah, the and, MBAs. Um, MBAs. Yeah. I thought it was it, yeah. The Rastafarian white guys was quite good as well because um they obviously they have a black teacher and he's just like don't even get me started on you fucking guys and that's for, for the time <laughs> probably the white Rastafarians weren't getting enough stick so that was probably quite good at the time. And, and it's another thing that I remember those kind of kids from secondary school with like like the really, really posh, nerdy white guys who grow dreadlocks. Yeah. And it's it's just yeah, that it, it just did it perfectly, I think. Yeah. So you got those guys and then you got the coffee kids, which I love that. The idea that yeah. there's like a coffee tribe. Do you think that's like a Seattle thing? Yeah, maybe. I mean when when we were um, at sick form college, I think there was a lot of kids who sort of you're know, too young to get away with drinking, but to seem more sophisticated, you'd get coffee. Yeah, I mean that was and, how and, I came to it. Yeah, and then you get sort of like, yeah, some of them did seem a little bit on edge, so it might have been the caffeine <laughs> kicking in a little bit. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it, I like the way that they had all of these different little groups, like these little high school groups in the film. Yeah. Um, but they're almost kind of like 
most of them kind of dropped off after that initial scene. And then you just see a little snippet of them here and there throughout the movie, just to kind of remind you that they're still around. Yeah. The coffee kids don't recur though, as far as no, I remember. No. So they advance the plot in no way. They're just there. It's like, I love that. There are quite a few little things that don't really advance the plot or contribute to the story at all. Um, like the fact that the, the guidance counselor woman at the beginning is played by Alison Janney, who I love. Yeah, um, yeah, she's like writing this porn novel, and they use that as an excuse to throw in some rude words, and then she just basically never appears again. It's as if they couldn't afford enough of her time. <laughs> yeah, she is just in that. She sets up the scene for Joseph Gordon-Levitt as a new kid, and then just immediately disappears. And I think, yeah, she's just there for like the odd scene where they get sent for detention, isn't it? And that's, yeah, that's that's her entire role in the film. Yeah, she, I think, is a very underappreciated actress. She's obviously CJ in The West Wing. But she, yeah, she just crops up in things, you know, like, yes, every performance I've seen her in has been good. Have you seen um, Away We Go? Yes, yeah, yeah, <sighs> She's great film. so good in that as the kind of mad friend who says that her, like, is heckling her 10-year-old daughter and calling her a lesbian and stuff. And it's kind of really awful, but, yeah, you're like, you cut, it's uncomfortable, but you can't, you you want them to get away from them and eventually they do and oh, it's, yeah that's that's a film that is also on the list it's one of my like all-time faves but um 10 things i hate about you is full of these these sort of side character performances that just really stick in the mind so like um cat and bianca's dad for instance oh my god the dad is, i have so much yeah. to say about the dad um he's 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 the weirdest character though he is he's kind of fucked up in a way yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but in a way that is just fantastic to watch. Yeah. And he's he's sort of he's sadistic for no reason as the kind of the thing that we were taught in creative writing class never to do is to have a villain whose only reason for being is just like villainy, like Iago or whatever. But yeah, he just seems like to have absolutely no reason for his sadism and then it turns out that the mum has left or is dead. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's it's just great the the sort of setting up of rules, the sort of overreactions to every minor thing that the the two girls do, um, and um, there's the uh, I've forgotten what he calls it, but the fake pregnancy suits. Oh yeah, <laughs> that, it's like that the he makes suit. Yeah, that he makes Bianca wear as a before she goes to this party as a reminder of what could happen if she gets pregnant underage it's just it's it's brilliant yeah yeah it's really bizarre but then um at the end there's like his last scene is like the tender scene with Kat and they're talking about her going to university and it's it's such a horrible awful cliche that they must have been aware again of the the right side of the parody line but he can only talk emotionally in sports metaphor and it's like he's he says something like oh I've been you but you left me out on the bench or something (laughs) <laughs> yeah. that scene really really yeah stuck with me but interestingly i i i immediately like laughed out loud at that because it was so ridiculous but i watched it with claire um my fiance and she said um well you know you're you're blessed with a dad who is able to express himself but some dads like mine are only able to talk in sports metaphor so actually it's kind of true to life for some people yeah i suppose i suppose that's probably true i mean we both you and I kind of wear our hearts on our sleeves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, although, and although I'm known to delve into sports metaphors every so often, 
Oh yeah, um, I, I love a baseball metaphor. It's, Don't get me wrong. It's, it's yeah, it's a, it's something that is amusing for us, but I suppose some people who aren't more in touch with their feelings or who have family members that aren't so in touch with their feelings might see that as kind of like a little bit of real world sort of pastiche, yeah. as it were. So that that she kind of connected with that the dad on that level, which I thought was quite interesting. It, yeah, you you kind of project yourself onto those those kind of performances, and you you see yourself and your family in those in those kind of moments. And romantic comedies, I guess, don't often do that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, my main takeaway from his performance is um, how I'm going to be if I ever have kids. Yeah, how how I can irritate my children. <laughs> <laughs> to, yeah. to the most effective way you're gonna buy the, the pregnancy suit yeah um they can only date if their sibling is dating which will be particularly handy if i only have one child yep um that kind of thing yeah or if they're twins oh yeah yeah definitely <laughs> yeah yeah that that part of it the, the the suit and the thing it's like it doesn't quite cross the line into emotional abuse but that's kind of in touch with the shakespearean root of it in a way because obviously it's loosely based on the taming of the shrew yeah yeah have you ever ever read that seen it on stage i've seen it on stage actually yeah um many years ago i think it was back at secondary school yeah um we we went up to stratford on avon and um saw it there nice um and it's it it was good fun but um yeah it's it sort of keeps enough of the original play in there for you to notice and be like oh yeah this is based on this yeah um but it messes with it enough to sort of break away from the rigidity that you might need because a lot of like shakespeare modernizations can be quite sort of like jarring yeah particularly the ones that stick to the actual shakespearean script so i don't know if you've ever seen the 2000 version of hamlet with ethan Hawke and carl mclaughlin no, I did not um, know that that existed. Two, and it's two all, actors I like very much. It's um, and it's it's a really interesting movie, um, because it's all rather than it being a king, it's a head of a of a huge conglomerate corporation. All right, and it's all sort of like done that way instead. Um, but it co- it sort of ties in ways to have the jewel, so it bear fencing for fun and stuff like that. And it doesn't quite work as well as it should do. Um, Whereas um, 10 Things I Hate About You just kind of, it ditches the rigidity and sort of does its own thing, but still having enough suitable nods to the original to make it work. Yeah, it's loose. But um, I've never seen The Taming of the the Shrew on stage, but there's a really good BBC adaptation with um, the woman who plays Moaning Myrtle in Harry Potter, whose name I can't remember. Um, who is a really good actress, um, and I think, interestingly enough, was the the in the Harry, all of the actors who are on Harry Potter. She was the one with the biggest distance in age in real life from the character which she was playing at the time. Um, there's a, a factoid, something like twenty oh, odd years. Um, <laughs> she she's a lot older than she looks. She looks really good for her age, but she plays the titular shrew in this BBC adaptation, and her performance is out of this world. It's absolutely wild. But it's quite an interesting play because a lot of it is um, a lot of what they they do to her is essentially to try and break her, and that element of it is absent from Ten Things I Hate About You. It's more about just getting the romance to happen, and that's it. So it also kind of mixes in the the bet element from Pygmalion, and it borrows from 
everywhere. But yeah, they, a lot of what is done to her in The Taming of the True is really kind of abusive and horrible. Um, and so I felt like some of the dad's actions were sort of channeling that in a way, in a way that was lighthearted. None of it was like bad, but they, they took things from the play liberally and I think sprinkled them throughout the film in the right way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think it. I think they did it. They did it very well, um, and they sort of got the characters' motivations down well without it becoming sort of cruel. Yeah, it's very, very good. I'm just looking at some some of the like good light, like hilarious lines that made me really, really laugh. As they're having that conversation, Bianca and her friend Chastity, they're walking along, and the, <laughs> she goes, "You can be underwhelmed and you can be overwhelmed, but can you ever just be whelmed?" <laughs> which is a conversation that we've all had. I, I think you can in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's so good. Uh, that's the kind of like snappy line that really, really, I think the the instance of snappy lines, I think can really make or break a romantic comedy. Even if the romance is really believable, if the dialogue isn't snappy, it can sort of drag a bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it, it kind of um, having dialogue that really keeps the, the, Re, the viewer focused sort of takes away from any suspension of disbelief they might have about everything that's going on so yeah. it's just yeah it's great yeah i, I love that and then this <laughs> really tickled me it's a very silly line um that i think was overdubbed a bit badly because it's in the car park and he's um the friend whose name i can't remember the guy who shows him around is driving on his like little moped and then um, Julia Stiles is trying to get her car out and he got, he like drives in front of her and she beeps and she goes, remove head from sphincter, then drive. <laughs> <laughs> it's like overdubbed because obviously she's in the car. It's like, it felt like that might have been a line that she kind of just, something she just said that they decided to throw in there on the overdubs. But that is a great, great line. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. Um, and there's that great, uh, it's a character who only appears in one scene. The, the, um, or, or maybe he appears in more than one, but he's only got one major role in it. Um, the the teacher who's doing detention. Oh yeah. And um, there's that kid who's in detention with him, who's clearly very very high. And um, he goes up with this kid, and he's like, "You're swelling like a pig. You, you've got pot on you, don't you?" And like he takes the pot off the off the kid, and he's like, "I'm confiscating this." And then he, as he walks back to his desk, there's a packet of Cheetos on another kid's desk, and he just picks up and goes, "Confiscating this too." And he just walks back. <laughs> oh, yeah, the teachers in it are re- all really, really good performances, yeah, actually. Yeah. Again, again, just the right side of the the parody joke line. Um, yeah, they they've got that same kind of like. Um, they don't quite care enough about their jobs aspect to them that like the teachers in the Simpsons have. Yeah. And it makes them seem like real, real people as opposed to just, you know, this, this character is a teacher. Their role is to teach. They've all got that kind of personality to them. Yeah. Principal Skinner is one of the all time great comedy characters. (laughs) Definitely. Am I out of touch? No, it's the children who are wrong. (laughs) It's the children who are wrong. (laughs) Yeah, it was a very it's a very kind of Simpsons like high school, I guess, in a way. Not that you ever really get much high school in the Simpsons because they're in elementary school, but it's you get the feeling that if it ever followed on, it'd be a bit like that with the tribes and the yeah, the teachers confiscating the Cheetos and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And again, ninety nine, like the Simpsons would have been at height popularity around that time mm. as well. So it's you know, it must have been influential on it in a vague way, I guess. 
Yeah, probably. I mean, it's it's got that kind of counterculture feel to it, um, which is which is odd to say about a romantic comedy based on one of the most popular playwrights, most well-known plays. It's like it's got all these things that are very pure establishment to it, but at the same time, it's got this kind of subversive nature to it, which I think is one of the reasons why it's so endearing. Yeah, that's I think why I I enjoyed it so much, even coming back to it. Is that yeah the, the the element of the comedy overwhelms the the stereotypical nature of the the romance and I think obviously because it, you know it's essentially boy meets girl they fall in love there's the kind of the overarching film sometimes that is all literally all you get and that's when a film is so so boring but these kind of romantic films get churned out and I think this is what we want to explore on this podcast isn't it it's like what makes these what makes a romantic film good or bad and what makes it stand out from all the kind of standard thinking that just a romance is enough in and of itself. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and, and it, there's so many parts of this movie that make it more than just a rom-com. Yeah. Um and it's it's yeah, it's it's great. I think one of the best things about it is just the way that all of the characters just have their own status. So like you've got Gabrielle Union who like is a friend but then immediately betrays Bianca when it suits her oh, <laughs> to yeah. like propel her own propel her own wishes. She goes to um, prom with the jock guy, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. Oh man, I um, forgot about that. And um and the jock guy himself is just like pure high school douchebag. Yeah. It's great. He's he just personifies that kind of character. Yeah. The bit um, that really like solidifies his character for me is when is obviously he's coming across as arrogant and he he seems kind of but he seems kind of really polished and slick as well and in a way that jocks aren't always so you're like what's going to be the crack in this facade and the crack in the facade is the scene in um, the cafeteria where they sit down with him and try to convince him to to have the bet and he's just like he's drawing a pair of boobs on the tray <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know why but that really that really tickled me and then he draws a dick on the guy's face yeah Claire told me off to laughing at that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you're human if you've not laughed at a penis on another person's face before. Yeah, it's it's one of those it's one of those unifying unifying funny things. Yeah, it's a it's great, hard, great leveler. Yeah, it's hard not to laugh at a penis being drawn on someone, just like it's hard not to laugh at the name Cockfosters when you're on the tube. <laughs> yeah, or um, if you go on my Instagram at Dr. Paddy Johnston, you'll see one of my most recent photos is a picture of Cock Lane in London. <laughs> <laughs> Laughed at that. We did a, like a historical walking tour of the Great Fire of London, hours long, really informative, loads of history, and then that was the thing that I took away. <laughs> Cock Lane. As any right-minded person yeah. would. And Cock Lane, interestingly, is where the Great Fire of London stopped on the north, oh. north side. I'm not sure oh, why. I can't remember why. But. It was laughing too much at the, the name. <laughs> yeah. No room for, for deadly fire when there's laughter. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the, the jock guy, he's an amazing character. He's got the slick hair and the, the pointy nose. And, yeah. And he, he's a model and he's got loads of money. And, yeah. Yeah. You, you hate him, but... Yeah, you're also kind of a little bit taken in by his slickness at first. Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah, he just goes straight, straight downhill. Um, so yeah, another bit that I loved was when he's like, he they get all of the flyers and they throw them and down the stairs, and it's just like endless flyers. 
that's like <laughs> yeah. I want that as a gift for when I'm trying to work on marketing and promotion or anything at work because that's just like the ideal and it made me think why didn't I ever do that at school because we had events that we had to fly for and my school had like a huge staircase like that it's like why didn't I ever do that it would have yeah it would have been you would have got in a lot of trouble but blatantly would have been worth it just for the chance to do that in real life it would definitely have been worth it i'd have i'd have definitely been willing to get a detention for that so what what else did i note down here so yeah someone says i know shakespeare's a dead white guy but he knows his shit which is a very <laughs> fair statement oh yeah that's accurate yeah i can't remember who says that i think it's the teacher um that's the teacher yeah yeah and then obviously the film becomes about the prom. Are they are they or aren't they going to go to the prom? And the prom is the kind of crunch time, which is great. Um, and the the scene, obviously the the scene that I think is probably the most famous scene is where he sings um, "Can't Take My Eyes Off of You" and the sports. Oh yeah, field. yeah. Um, it didn't last as long as I remembered it being in my imagination, and it the the kind of ramshackle nature of it made me to wonder if it was improvised. What do you think? I don't know. I think, I think maybe some of his movements on, on the um, on the stage, not on the stage in the in the stands, m- might have been improvised. Yeah. Um, just the way that he dances around, that he slaps the policeman on the bum, the security lo- guard on the that. bum. That tickled me a lot. It's yeah, all of those things have got that kind of cheeky impulsiveness to them that you think maybe that wasn't scripted. Yeah, that yeah, I I love that scene so much. But it, again, because I saw not another team movie first, it always reminds me of that. And the guy sings, oh, yeah. um, "Janie's got a gun" by Eric Smith. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like a cappella, and he's really like howling it, and everyone's just like, "Oh, mate, get off!" And rather, even um, the cops are just like, "What?" Because <laughs> I think I think one of the best things about that scene in Ten Things I Hate About You is the way that like everyone reacts to it. So, like, in your standard rom-com, you'd have Julia Stiles having a bit of a laugh and a smile, and you'd have, like, a focus shot on her. She's like, oh, I like this guy, really. But then, like, in 10 Things I Hate About You, everyone else is laughing at it as well, and everyone else is cheering. Yeah. And, like, that's exactly what would happen if there was someone at your school who did that, and you were there to witness it, and to witness him making fun of the security guards. Like, it would be absolutely hilarious. It'd be all you talk about for the rest of the week. Yeah. Yeah, and you'd want to have been involved in it somehow. You'd you'd yeah, have been like, yeah. "Oh, I was there. I was on. I was second trombone. <laughs> <laughs> I was on the flugelhorn. Flugelhorn. Yeah. So yeah, that is just a just a great scene. Like, if in doubt in your romantic comedy, just throw in kind of a big sort of brassy brassy song, an imp- impromptu display of love through through sort of rude but fun song. That's kind of it. Seems like it can't go wrong. Oh yeah, exactly. So yeah, I love that scene, and that I think is the scene where she turns from maybe thinking that, or the expression on her face kind of betrays that she's she's like thinking he's a douche to thinking he's okay. They still have to work through some stuff, and they still have to go paintballing, and she still has to throw up on his shoes. Oh no, it's after the is it after the throwing up on the shoes? I forget. Um. Yes, it's after the throwing up on the shoes. Can I talk about that paintballing scene for one moment? Yeah, I thought that was what? a great scene. Yeah, but what kind of paintballing is that? Because I've never seen that before. 
yeah. to me paintballing is you have a gun you shoot little balls of paint at people and it vaguely hurts and but five of your using... mates think they're really good at military strategy and it becomes incredibly tedious yes because they're waiting in the mud for an hour yeah for the right opportunity to strike when all you want to do is just run around a bit um so like it but in in 10 things i hate about you they're like throwing basically water balloons full of paint at each other yeah and it looks so much more fun. Where is this paintballing? I know. Why is... I think it, it's something about the British psyche, isn't it? That if there's anything that's <laughs> vaguely military and kind of... Clo- <laughs> it's a choice to go back to kind of colonial militarism, genuinely. I think, that, <laughs> I think that is really embedded in the British psyche and the way that we approach things. Whereas the Americans are just like, eh, you know, we had some civil wars, but if we're going to have paintball, let's have a laugh. Let's chuck water let's, bombs let's around. Go paintball. So yeah, it, it made paintballing look really, really fun in a way that I'd never ever thought of it as being fun. I mean, I've only done it once or twice, and I didn't really like it. Yeah, I did paintballing twice, and like, if you don't get stuck with the guy who's played too much Call of Duty, you're okay. But if you're stuck with that guy, you you will be sitting around in the cold in a trench, yeah, for an hour waiting for something to happen. The one you want is the guy who's played too much Cossacks. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, that is a great scene. And that's the scene where it feels like they fall in love. And you feel like for the first time that they're both genuinely really into each other and that they're kind of laughing about in the way that people in love do. And that's they, that's where their chemistry, I think, felt the most apparent to me. Yeah, yeah. Because it's almost dialogue-free, that entire scene. And yeah. it's just like shots of two two kids having fun going paintballing together that's true i didn't it didn't clock with me that it's basically dialogue free but that's true and to be able to to express romance in that way is definitely something that is absent from the standard rom-com template isn't it it's usually got to be some really awful speech where the guy's tried basically appears after doing something douchey and says take me back because of this and now i'm crying a little bit but i'm not really because big boys don't cry you mean the the zach braff special the zach braff special (laughs) that's a meal i would order at a diner (laughs) we should talk about garden state actually that's oh yeah not necessarily a rom-com but yeah we should yeah i haven't added any from that kind of indie leaning towards mumblecore genre but we should yeah we should chuck a couple in there yeah sure thing yeah so yeah obviously they yeah they then sort of get together properly then they have the prom and the bet is revealed um I can't remember how it gets revealed, but it doesn't matter because at that point you become more focused on Bianca and Joey. Um, yeah, and then yeah, she punches yeah. him, and you're like, "Yes, that's, that's <laughs> great. That's a big like feminist moment." Because yeah, it, it kind of you, you've got this whole. I think what happens is that Joey's talking about it with Heath Ledger, and and Cat overhears, and it's like, "You what, mate? You, right. you fuck it, you total pricks." Um, <laughs> Um, but like at that point, you've because they 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 intersplice the relationship between Bianca and uh, Cameron, and sort of like at first that seems hopeless, but then it's kind of blossoming by the end so much so that they go to prom together, and you've got that great scene between Joey and Bianca after Joey's just punched Joseph Gordon-Levitt in the face. Yeah, where it's just like yeah. Yeah, so their romance is blossoming as well, which you forget, but that sort of happens a bit behind the scenes or a bit more quickly as well. And as well as that, the next layer down is the friend with the the um, the Shakespeare, the friend who loves yeah. Shakespeare, and then all that it takes is like a couple of Shakespeare lines and then they're in. 
I love that how that how quickly that one comes together. I'd, I'd like to see, um, like, I'd like to have seen like a, a twenty years on from Ten Things I Hate About You. Oh, where are they man. now? To see the two sidekick characters still together. I would love that. Just, just occasionally reciting Shakespeare to each other. Yeah, as they slowly run out of sonnets. <laughs> Yeah, surely they, they, those kind of people would be like, there's never enough sonnets. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, and then um, I see at, at the last or the almost end scene, she's reading out the, the poem, the 10 Things I Hate About You poem, and um, she starts crying. Uh, did you know that, that was that wasn't in the script? Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Oh. She just, she just genuine. There's genuine tears. Like she genuinely just started crying, and they, they kept it in. Like one, I think it was just one take. But yeah, that's oh, a, wow. another famous story about it as well. So there obviously must have been this real emotional connection between them. No, it's that's interesting actually, because it's not one of those scenes that I think of as one of like the standout moments of the movie. Actually, no. Um, where like. It's, it kind of feels like at its most rom commy at that very moment. Yeah, where it's, it's like, like the this climax is the, after the climax. Yeah, this is the darkest moment before they get back together, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then all it takes to get back together is to buy a guitar. I mean, that would work on me, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, if I found too. out, if I found out that my loved one was was only with me because they were getting paid by someone else, I would expect. To them to use that money they were being paid by someone else to buy me lots of expensive things yeah. and I would forget about it. In the form of an American standard strap, which is not cheap. Yes, that would be good. It looks the the guitar looks really sexy like on the seat of the car as well. Yeah, you almost don't want to play it. Yeah. Just leave it leave it there. It's just it's just to be looked at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, that, that kind of genuine crying story that makes it feel so real. It's like um the video to maps by the Yeah Yeah Yes. Oh yeah. Did you know that yeah. as well? Yeah, that genuine yeah. tears because the the um her boyfriend was supposed to come to the shoot just before he was going off on tour and he didn't show up. So it's yeah, she just cried through the whole thing. And maps is and the letters stand for my Angus please stay and his name was Angus. And like that, that gets me every time. And and it resulted in one of the best or at least one of the most memorable music videos. Of, um, of the last decade. Yeah. Because it it's a phenomenal video, that one. It's great. Yeah. Almost as memorable as Letters to Cleo playing on the roof of the high school for the credits. <laughs> that I, is I, so good. When I was watching that, I was thinking, who helped them get all that equipment up to the top of the high school? I thought the same thing. Like, And who who's going to get them down again? Uh, are they now trapped on top of this high school permanently? Yeah, forever playing songs. <laughs> well, I mean, no one's really heard much from them since. So, so they might still be there. Has anyone, <laughs> you know? I think we we need to go out to Seattle, hire a chopper, yeah, and then go out and just check to see if there's four skeletons surrounded by <laughs> musical instruments on top of the school anywhere. Because you yeah. know, I think they might be in trouble. Your little ghostly burst of cheap trick on the wind. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and the if yeah, get a chopper around the high school that looks like a sort of weird castle. Yes, yes. Yeah, but you're right. You, the chopper goes all the way around them while they're playing, and you don't see any kind of stairs or fire escape or anything. Yeah. No, there's like a sort of hatch, isn't there? Right. But that's it. And you're like, how did you get a drum kit through that hatch? <laughs> so it all had to go through the hatch. But did, really, did they really do good it? performance from those guys. Yeah, yeah. 
who I think um, broke up not long after that, but have like recently reformed. Um, because oh, really? there was a thing that there's the thing they appeared on Parks and Recreation, um, and it's like a running joke. Have you seen Parks and Recreation? I've seen a couple of episodes here and there. Yeah, oh, it is so good, man. You gotta, yeah, you should sit down and watch it all. Like once you get into it and the character development really starts to flow, it is the best. But there's a character Ben played by Adam Scott and Letters to Cleo, his favorite band for like no apparent reason. <laughs> right. It's like, like a kind of a running joke. Sometimes he just appears wearing a Letters to Cleo, Cleo t-shirt, and then and then they they ended up playing on the show, which is really great. Oh, sweet. Yeah, I, I like it when. Um, films have a band kind of embedded into the story like that but not in a way that it feels forced like they're her favorite band when they they she's in the she's in the club early on and then they're playing at the prom and then they're playing at the end but it doesn't feel like they're shoehorned in but it feels natural and fun as well and it gives the movie some character and also dates it to 99 because they're a very kind of 1999 seeming band. yeah yeah they seem I, I like think the... l7 but tame <laughs> I, th- I think the worst example of shoehorning a band into a movie is the movie Rat Race. Where have you ever seen it? Is where that a it's cartoon? A... No, no, it's is that with, with Rowan Atkinson. Yes, and they all do this crazy cross-country race. It's kind of like the Cannonball Run, but remade and modernised. And um, and at the end, they all go to the show, and um, this kid who's in it just goes, "Oh my god, it's Smash Mouth!" <laughs> And all of a sudden, they're playing, I think they're playing All Star. -Star. And it's just like, nobody has ever had that reaction to seeing Smash Mouth live. Not even at their heyday. You You know, know, um, Smash Mouth will probably hear this and then send us an angry tweet about it. They're quite well known for replying to anyone, literally anyone. If you mention on Twitter that, oh, Smash Mouth had that one song from Shrek, they'll be like, actually, it was released before Shrek. They'll like mansplain Smash Mouth to you. I think the guy who looks like Guy Fieri probably just does not have enough time. He has too much time on his hands now. So he's just on Twitter all day, every day, Steve Harwell. searching, searching Smash Mouth Shrek and yeah. just replying to everything that he finds. Have I shown you the Smash Mouth cookbook? <laughs> no. Oh, you haven't got your camera on. Um, I'll take a picture. I'll send it to you. It, it's a real book that exists. Smash Mouth Recipes from the Road. Forward that's, by Guy Fieri. Friend of the podcast, Adam Molesky, got it for me for my birthday last year. Oh, that is that is incredible. Um, and there's kind of a reason. I think I can't remember how I knew about how it happened, but I I tweeted about it um, to I think you know the podcast. Do you, know, do you listen to Roderick on the Line? No, no, it's a really good podcast. Do you know the band, The Long Winters? Oh yeah. Um, the guy John Roderick, who is their singer, he does this podcast with this other guy called Merlin Mann, who's like a tech guy, and it's really really good. Um, they have this whole really long mythology about Guy Fieri and Smash Mouth and all sorts of stuff. But I found out about this book um, and I tweeted um, at him to tell him it exists. And he replied saying, I cannot imagine a worse crime against aesthetics. <laughs> and, um, Adam went to his local library and printed out this tweet and stuck it, <laughs> stuck it into the front of the book for me. Um, I have to show this book to you. It's amazing. It's like they've gone everywhere that Smash Mouth has been on tour. They've kind of gone to a local restaurant and tried to steal a recipe. And like there's loads of really low res pictures of all the food and loads of the recipes are just like really vague. The directions are almost like tweet length. They're never more than 140 characters. Um, And it's sort of really big and plastic and cheap looking. 
the, the fonts are all like Helvetica. It's it's a truly awful crime against books, and it is wonderful. I, I need to see this. Have I ever told you about my vague obsession with Guy Fieri? No, but um, you're talking to the so, right person. So I absolutely love him, and if if uh, <laughs> Diners, Drive-Ins and Dives is ever on, I just need to watch it just to hear him say, now I eat a lot of food. <laughs> this Philly, chili, uh, Philly cheesecake is the best I've ever had. Um <laughs> And so much so that um, I'm a big fan of video games and RPGs in particular. And if there's like a fire-based character in the game that I'm allowed to name myself, they're always called Guy Fieri. So whenever I play a Pokemon game, for instance, whenever I get a fire-type Pokemon, that Pokemon is known as Guy Fieri. Nice. And it's just, yeah. Yeah. Love him. Love him. He's the best. He's one of the best people on TV, I think. He's one of the best people on Earth. (laughs) I I I just wonder if like... Do you think he's like that all the time? Or do you think that's a vaguely vaguely on show for the audience? So do you think like after the takes over, he's just like, okay, that's another episode done. Or do you think he's like, that was the best episode I've ever been in. <laughs> I think he walks off camera and then his, his hair immediately turns like brown and straight and just falls <laughs> down. But no, I, I think he's the, like the that beard all the time. falls off his face. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just a stick on. It's like Velcro. Reve- revealing the jowls of a man who eats too many hot dogs. <laughs> yeah, no, I think he's genuinely like that. There's a really good, like, really long interview with him on um, Vice um, Munchies that came out recently. Have you read that? No, no. I need I'll to, put I a need link to, to that this. in the um, the show notes of this episode. It's very, very good. But yeah, he comes across like he's like that all the time. Like the whole time he's just talking about being a citizen of Flavortown and all these kind of <laughs> abstract things. <laughs> yeah. So what we really need to do is to get Guy Fieri in a romantic comedy. Oh my God, yes. Like called The Diner or something. Sensations. Sensations. <laughs> Oh, yeah, him, so... him and Adam Richmond from Man oh. vs. Food competing in a eating contest to win the heart of a female restaurateur who's running the competition. This shit writes itself. <laughs> but um, Adam <laughs> Someone Richmond... contact Hollywood. <laughs> but, um, Adam Richmond is no longer fat though, so it could he, be he like he's stop, it could be like it? he's coming out of retirement to stop yes. Guy Fieri from winning this woman's yeah. heart. Yeah, oh my he, God. He, he he once stole Guy Fieri's girlfriend in a similar situation, and then he discarded her as he would do the shit bag, and um, and <laughs> and then uh, decides a few years later, right, I'm going to come back and I'm going to wreck Guy Fieri's dreams once more. Yeah, this this absolutely has to happen. So we need to we need to make this podcast the biggest podcast ever. We need to get it super famous so that Hollywood are listening. And then they'll be they'll be paying us. Well, that, that's rewards. what happened with um, that uh, movie Tusk, wasn't it? As uh, Kevin Smith made it up as a joke on his podcast, and then he decided he was going to make it. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, and it's about someone. It's it's based on that. Do you remember that viral uh, story that went around about the person who was looking for a roommate, and they didn't have to pay rent, but they had to act like a walrus for two hours a day? <laughs> I did not hear about that. <laughs> oh, right, okay. Look, look it up. It's, it's amazing. Let's see and if then, I can put that in were, the show notes. They, they were talking about this, and um, and then he. Uh, and then they were like, oh, well, let's make a horror movie out of this. And then lo and behold, he made a horror movie out of it. And apparently it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it reviewed really badly and no one went to go see it. But that movie exists. Yep. 
Um, um, all the ideas for this, for, for sensations, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to let that go, um, are just swimming through my head. So like Guy Fieri, he's like, oh, Adam Richmond was like the king of, he was the man versus food. Um, I need to get a, uh, and Guy Fieri's like, oh, I need to get an eating coach. And lo and behold, Vin Diesel <gasps> appears out of nowhere. And it's like, you know, we're not just coach and eater. We're family. <laughs> so, yeah, Vin Diesel has to play like the wise eating guru. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, this this absolutely has to happen. Smash Mouth can play. They can do the soundtrack. They they can. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like they're not they're not up to much at the moment. I think I think All Star has to be the song that plays over the end credits. Yeah. Yeah. We need to find an appropriately awful song for the opening credits. <laughs> oh, what else? What what else would be great from that era? The Smash Mouth era. Yeah. The the Shrek or should we say the Shrek era? <laughs> Shrek Mouth. Don't hate me, Smash Mouth. <laughs> <laughs> you can hate me, Smash Mouth. That's okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm thinking now. I'm now thinking about Linkin Park. That's incredibly unromantic. That might be a bit angsty. Yeah. Um. But maybe a bit of Limp Biscuit somewhere though that might fit in quite yeah. well. Bit of rolling or break stuff. Yeah, nookie. <laughs> I did it all for the cookie. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. There we go. We you get a, a remake made. Yeah. So rather than rhyming nookie with cookie, you just repeat cookie. Yes, yeah. exactly. So you can take that cookie take, and, shove and it stick it in your stick mouth. Stick it. Stick it in your mouth. Stick <laughs> it in your mouth. Exactly. We could bring Fred Durst out of retirement. Like I, I don't know what that guy's <laughs> he up could, to right now. He could be the third contestant, couldn't he? Oh, you know, he was something yeah. like 35 when Significant Other came out. I, I always feel very bad for Wes Borland. Yeah. He was who, had, who had a really nice guitar tone and was, you know, pretty talented. He had all this weird, cool stuff going on. And then he was stuck in Limp Bizkit. Yeah. No, his... <laughs> playing songs like Roland. Because their musicality was quite interesting. It was just, yeah, the lyrics and the kind of bravado of Fred Durst just kind of overshadowed everything. Whereas actually, yeah, Wes, I think, did have some talent. Yeah. Yeah. Have you heard any of their more recent stuff, like um, in the last 10 years or so? Not since, uh, what's that song, Douchebag? <laughs> yeah, I was just about to <laughs> talk about Douchebag. Douchebag, gonna fuck you up, fuck you, <laughs> fuck, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you up. Fuck you up. Oh, and now this episode has to have an explicit tag on iTunes. Oh, I think well, maybe we should beep it out. Yeah, I'll beep myself. Hot dog, I'm gonna eat you up, eat you, eat you, eat you up. <laughs> that sounds like a song that Guy Fieri would listen to. <laughs> So I think maybe we get Limp Bizkit in, yeah, but with the singer of Smash Mouth instead of Fred Durst, because oh. I don't think Fred Durst would allow us to change the songs. That's a, and a then super he, group. And then he does all of these songs again, but with lyrics entirely about food and eating competitions. Oh my God. that That is an album that I would listen to <laughs> once. <laughs> so, well, they've already got chocolate starfish in the hot dog yeah. in the water. <laughs> Uh, um, the the band would be called Smashed Biscuits. Smashed Biscuits, <laughs> like like you buy in the supermarket for cheap. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> or off off the dodgy market, the bag of broken biscuits. Yeah, it's a great yeah, link with a great British tradition. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, Hollywood. <laughs> if you're listening, yeah. open your have... wallets. <laughs> yes, we have a treatment to sell you. Yeah. This is our challenge over the lifetime of the podcast, is to get all of those people on board. 
I think if we if we can get Guy Fieri on board, the rest will all fall into place. But we I, might have I, to work on the others first. Yeah, I, I think Guy Fieri, if he's keen, just the sheer enthusiasm for the whole project will will make up for all of it. Yeah, he'll carry it. Everyone will be swept up yeah. in his wave of frosted tipped enthusiasm. <laughs> Oh this, oh, this 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 been this been good talk, good film. Talk. It has, yeah. So, ten things I hate about you. We're saying is is good. We like yes, it. It's setting it a good standard for romantic comedies in general. So, I I wondered if we should have some kind of rating scale or that kind of thing. Um, um, an an eight beautiful Heath Ledger curl out of ten. Ooh, yeah, that's that's fair. So we're going out of ten. Yeah. I, I yeah, I'd give, I'd say an eight is definitely fair. And I also thought we could just just say whether a film is good, bad, or ugly. So some of the really bad ones could maybe be ugly. Oh yeah, but this is good. Yeah. This is definitely good. Good, good, definitely good. Yeah. So that that's ten things I hate about you. Some light spoilers in there, but yeah, if you've never seen it, go watch it. If you have seen it, watch it again because it's like comfort food. Romantic yes. movie comfort food. If you if you combine that with actual comfort food, you're in for a really good evening. Yeah. Get get a pizza in. Mac and cheese. Watch ten things I hate about. You. Oh yeah, mac and cheese. Watch ten things I hate about you. Just feel good on the inside and outside. Yeah, that's great. And R.I.P. Heath Ledger, obviously, because it did. Yes. It was very much tinged with sadness in that. Yeah, I, I find that every time I watch a Heath Ledger film, is like he's he was phenomenally talented. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had that young. kind of, and he he had that kind of charisma that you don't always see in an actor as well. And it's just yeah, no. Very, very sad. Because he wasn't a pretty boy either. He wasn't the kind of Joey Jock pretty boy guy. No, I mean, he was bloody handsome, but uh, he had a sort of uniqueness yeah. to the way he looked. He was craggy, a little bit craggy. Yes. Yeah. Cool. So what shall we talk about next time? How shall we decide the, the next film that we're going to do? We could, I thought we could either alternate, so you choose one, I choose one, or we could just kind of randomly pick. What do you reckon? Oh. Um, what yeah, I should, should do we... is drop these into Excel and then do a random function, but I don't have time to do that now. That's all right. Should we should we alternate so we each pick a movie each week? Yeah, I think that's a, that sounds good actually. Um, so do you want to pick one for next time out, or just well, we I pick we one? picked this one together? So shall we f- like flip a coin or something to decide who who goes who goes first? I'm just gonna cool. Grab, yeah, I'll grab a coin. Okay, heads or tails? Uh, heads. Tails. I oh. Pick. oh I, I wanted you to pick. Um, <laughs> okay, so I don't want to go in with something that is probably going to be terrible. Um, I'm going to choose Waitress. Have you ever seen Waitress? I don't think I have. No. I haven't seen it either, so this is going to be quite different. It's going to be oh. a kind of... Um, both of us seeing it for the first time, which I think is going to be very, very different. It's, I think, a bit of a cult classic. Do you know much about it? No, it's the one with um, Nathan Fillion, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Who I like very much as an actor. Yeah, I've not, I've not seen... underappreciated. And I think yeah. the, the main actress, I think, died either while they were shooting it or was it, it was either the main actress or the screenwriter died not long after they shot it i think or there's oh, some right. yeah some big yeah the writer adrienne shelley she was um she was murdered in some kind of weird um yeah murdered by one of her neighbors in a kind of unprovoked crime 
which that uh, that's the, not related to the film in any way, but the film is kind of um, tinged with sadness from that point of view. So we're we're continuing the film's tinged with sadness thing, but apparently it's it's got a sort of it never was that big, but has a certain charm to it. But there's also a musical based on it that's on Broadway now, which is how I first heard about it. Because oh, it's right. got okay. music and lyrics by Sarah Bareilles, who I like very much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I listened to the soundtrack to the musical, and it's very, very good. It's real classic musical stuff. So I'm going to say that is a film that we are going to watch next. All right. Looking forward to it. 2007. Cool. Cool. So this has been the, the first episode of the Big Boys Don't Cry podcast. Two dudes talking about films. Uh, we we want to do like listener mail. We want we want your input. Anything you want to share. So we have an email address: bigboysdon'tcrypodcast at gmail and we're on Twitter at bigboysdon'tpod. Um, so yeah, do get in touch if there's any films you feel like you want us to talk about, us to add to the list. If you want to tell us um, how much um, you love Guy Fieri and Adam Richman and how much you want that film to happen. That's the most important thing that we need from you as a listener base at the moment is just to get your your um, your support on that. So it's a kind of crowdsource enthusiasm for that. So that eventually that enthusiasm resonates back to Guy Fieri himself. Um, and then it just becomes an enthusiasm bomb. So that's what we need from you as listeners, really. Uh, but yeah, we'd love, we'd love to hear from you through those channels. And um, Yes. Uh, make this enthusiasm perpetual motion machine happen, please. Yeah. Because this this movie needs to happen. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll give you regular updates on that as well, kind of like if you back a Kickstarter campaign. We're not asking for any <laughs> money yet, but we Probably might, we might need some further down the line. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, so, yeah, it's been, it's been great talking to you, man. This, is, this has been fun. It's been and great, we'll yeah. See you, we'll see you next time. We will talk about Waitress. Yes. All right. All right. Bye. Bye bye. I've now got the very dubious uh, calendar note saying big boys recording. <laughs> <laughs> which which yeah. sounds a little bit sketch i keep getting because i've signed up for the twitter account and i put the name in as big boys and then don't cry i keep getting emails saying hello big boys <laughs> or like big boys would you like to follow james corden or whatever <laughs>